You're listening to Coach Talk, a podcast about coaching for improvement in health and social care. Here you will meet several international experts and coaches to discuss challenges, opportunities, models and tools that might be useful when you coach others to make improvements. Okay, I'm here at Intermountain uh, Healthcare and I'm having a very nice lady <laughs> who I'm looking at. Uh, her name is Natalie and I know she is a professional coach here for Intermountain Healthcare. Natalie, can you tell me a little bit uh, who are you and your experience as a coach? <coughs> Excuse me, so I'm Natalie Soria with Intermountain Healthcare in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, I work here in a department called the uh, Institute for Healthcare Delivery Research. I've been here for 15 years working as a quality improvement um, consultant and as the education director I oversee all of our quality improvement courses that come out of this department um, and again been here for 15 years. Wow, it's a long experience you have. Yes. Um, we are having this conversation a little bit about coaching. Do, do you need unique coaches outside to, to help in improvement? Or what are your, th your thoughts about that? So if I understand, do we need coaches? Yes. Yes. Um, so here at Intermountain, we assign, not assign, maybe assign is too strong of a word. We provide a consultant for all of the quality improvement projects. Not that they're the clinical expert on the project, but they are the quality improvement expert. They've taken multiple groups through a quality improvement journey, whether it be on a project or changing the culture, um, as those experts in that. Um, quality improvement doesn't come second nature for a lot of people. Um, they'll know the clinical expert or the clinical content, but to have that quality improvement piece can be very effective. Um, and so here at Intermountain, we do give you the opportunity to have a quality improvement coach or mentor on your projects. Okay, and what do they have for, for methods or education? So most of, here in my department, um, most of our coaches are master statisticians, which is kind of a bit scary sometimes. Um, but they deal a lot with the data. And so in quality improvement work, oftentimes we like to use a lot of control charts or SPC charts. So they have the understanding of not only how to do the control chart, what it tells you, but to how to gather the data and what appropriate data to be measuring to see improvement. Um, now there's a few of us such as myself, I don't have a degree in statistics, um, but I've worked at, with the curriculum of quality improvement and teaching the curriculum um, and taking a number of groups through. And so I act as a consultant myself also, even without the statistical background. Um, as a coach, um, you don't really need to know necessarily the statistics of how to do a control chart, but you need to know what the control chart is telling you. And that's what, as a coach, we tell our groups is, we don't want you to become a master statistician. But when you're given a control chart, we want you to be able to understand what it's telling you. That's the key learning. Um, and so in my role, that's what I would say is your coaches need to be able to know what a control chart is and what it reads and what should be on that control chart. Okay, so you were telling me about quite high level control charts is quite high level work. Uh, but if you would like to start in on the very basic level, maybe just run charts, maybe mm -hmm. Is that okay, or do, do we always need this high level? High levels, as we, no, I think I think it's fine. It depends, I will say it depends on the work that you're doing and the group that you're working. 
Um, run charts are good and you'll want to see, but as you start to get more in depth in the quality improvement and really see if the process is changing, those control charts are very effective with the control limits and knowing are we, are we really not, is that variation or is that not variation? Is that just the way the process is or are there so many outliers that we really do need to evaluate what it is? Um, as you're beginning your quality improvement work, run charts are great. Okay. Just to see. Can you just in some words explain me what are run charts? Because I know that we have listeners who maybe don't know what we're talking about. So a about. run chart is um, just a graph of your measurement. So on your x-axis you would have your time. So whether we're measuring this weekly, monthly, daily, um, as in PDSA work, you always want to shorten the time cycle. So if we're measuring monthly now, maybe we can get to a weekly measurement, then a daily measurement. And then, so that's your x-axis is your time. Your y-axis is your measurement. That's what we're actually measuring. So a percentage of, or a count of, or length of stay, whatever the actual measurement is. Um, and that's just your run chart. So we're measuring our length of stay over so many weeks. And, you know, our quality improvement goal is to shorten length of stay. Are we seeing that our length of stay is decreasing or are we seeing our length of stay go up? Yes, thank you very much. I was thinking the people in Sweden, maybe they are different from the people here in Utah, but not everybody is very fond of measuring and not everybody is reacting at, oh yes, we want to do better. Do you recognize that problem or is everybody, yes, we want to know exactly how we are doing? No, because sometimes there's financial compensation. Uh, we don't want to do better because financially it hurts us. Uh -huh. Right? So sometimes measure can, measurement can be scary for people because we don't want, maybe it's not necessarily beneficial for us to decrease our length of stay because then financially we're not filling the beds. Um, in quality improvement work, as Dr. Brent James has discussed, which hopefully many of you know of him, is we look at three different outcasts medical outcomes, cost outcomes, and service outcomes. And we're trying to do what's right for the patient. Give them the best medical outcomes, give them the best cost outcomes, and the best service outcomes. And it all goes back to the patient. So as much as we don't want to measure, measure outcomes, what are we doing for the patient if we're not measuring them? Are we providing the best care with the best medical outcomes, service outcomes, and cost outcomes? Yeah, so um, but how can we get people to get interested in numbers when they are trained like uh, professionals and they are trained to take care of people? So th that's something else, caring for people than just have the, the numbers. So how can you make that change that they are getting interested in the numbers? So as humans, we only remember what the last, I think the statistics they say is the last seven things. In my expertise, you know, that, that surgery, it only took me two hours, you know. That last surgery took me whatever. If you show a run chart and say, you know, on average, no, you're actually taking four hours on these surgeries. We need to schedule the OR or whatnot for that long. So human, human factors, we're not as good as we think we, our memories aren't as good as we think they are. And if you pull the data and if you're looking at it, then you can make improvement versus saying, well, in my expertise or in my experience, no, it's this. Um, if that's what you can remember, then how can you improve on that if it's really not what is happening? Yeah. Which is difficult. It's not the easiest thing. That, you know, people don't like to see what really is. No, in my expertise, I'm the caring profession. I know what's going on. Um, 
again, we, we, we can't remember everything. And so in my expertise or in my experience, that's only within your last so many times. Is that also what you are telling them? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you are using that. It's okay. Your memory is just for for seven right. things. So so we we are collecting some data to to get the facts right. And we always tie it back to what is best for the patient. We're not evaluating you as a professional. You're the clinical expert. We know you're doing the best work you can. But healthcare is complex with everything a clinician has to do, it's very complex. And if we can show and track things that can then improve your work, then it's actually beneficial not only to you as the patient, to the patient and as to you as a clinician. You know, if we, we often say, you know, if, if you can improve the work and you can see 20 more patients a day, or instead of seeing 20 more patients, you can go home and go to your kid's soccer game. Yeah, that, that's a nice motivation. Yes, right. it was very good. Um, so I'm very impressed about this Intermountain Healthcare. Um, it's um, not in just one hospital, it's over the whole region. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so how did you get this system over your whole region? So we, ha we have a, a different infrastructure. Um, about 20 plus years ago, um, a gentleman, Brent James and David, um, David Burton set up what's called our clinical program structure, where uh, oftentimes in other systems they're called uh, service service lines, um, clinical services. Where so one of our clinical programs is women and newborn, and they see all the women and newborn patients throughout the whole system. So within that, you have a medical director of that, um, you have an operation director, and you have an analyst, and they oversee the clinical program for the whole corporation and then there's representation from each of the facilities from that line of service on that and they meet together as a group and talk about what are our care processes what are our core measurements within this clinical clinical program or service line and they work on those as a system so that you're not getting one hospital doing really great at women and newborn whatever measurement and another but you're coming together as a system and saying as a system what is the care process what should pregnancy and labor and delivery look like as a system? Okay, in, in this system you have several coaches. Mm -hmm. So how are you developing your coaches? How are they, they, do they have a network together? Do they gather once a year? Or how, how is that working? So most of them, <clears throat> in our department we have, um, they are our staff and so we have them kind of a little bit under more control because they're here in the quality improvement department. Um, if they are outside of our department, we have quality improvement coaches, they are required to come to our training and learn about what quality improvement is and how we do it at Inroutland. Um, and then we invite them to be part of a, a consulting group where we get together and talk about projects and talk about how they're doing and what we would be doing. So how often are, when they have done the education, how often do they still meet afterwards? Uh, we don't do as well of job on that if they're outside of our department. If they're inside our department, um, after we do one of our programs, similar to yours, we meet after each session as a group of consultants and talk about all the projects that are going on in that course and talk about how could we help them better or what, maybe you've worked on a project similar to this, what's a measurement that you guys looked at or what did you do? Um, and so that's after each session for sessions one, two, and three. 
Okay, so all the coaches are supporting each other, mm -hmm. if I understand that well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you gather them here in, in Salt Lake City. Should it be possible to do that by telephone conference? Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking there are a lot of coaches outside. Right. Uh, yeah, we oftentimes will do a WebEx or a telephone call. Um, the way we do our quality improvement projects in our courses is we have an outline of different elements of the project that we like to see. And in those meetings with the consultants, it's going through all of those elements of each project. Could you just give an example? What oh. kind of elements? Yeah. I actually just happen to have a sheet here on my table on, that I'm getting ready for our session next week. So uh, we have seven elements of our project here. We have a general mission statement. Why, why are we needing to look at this? Is there a service outcome, a medical outcome, a cost outcome? Why is this process mean, needing to be looked at? Um, to attempt a problem. The next is a, a list of your team members. Um, those members that are on the team that have the fundamental knowledge of the process you're looking at. Not only going down to the front line, those that are doing the care, but also going up to the ownership or the champion group, whether it be your executives or your medical directors, whoever that champion group is. So you have that two-way street. The next is your conceptual diagram. <clears throat> of the process. So it's just a visual of your process, whether it be a conceptual flow, a decision flow, a cause and effect, just some sort of conceptual diagram that shows the process. The next element is your leverage points. Those are the points within your process where you have an opportunity to make a change and hopefully see an improvement. Um, another name for those are your low-lying fruit, which I think mm -hmm. is often used in your um, arena where you you can see that there's an opportunity. You mean the bottlenecks also? Mm -hmm. Bottlenecks, also, yeah. yeah. Okay. They have several different names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the next one is your aim statement and that is, as we were talking about run charts, that's the measurement is associated in your aim statement. So that's the aim, what, what are we measuring and what we want to get to in what specific population and by when, giving it a stretch goal. So we're going to improve something by so much in this population by the end of July. Sorry to interrupt you. Uh, I see you have stretch goals. Mm -hmm. uh, we call them for SMART goals. Do you know the yes, SMART, smart goals? goals. Um, but there is a difference between SMART goals and stretch goals. Mm -hmm. So you are choosing for stretch goal. Do yep. you, can you explain the difference? So stretch goal is um, just stretching the group, stretching the team to make an improvement and hopefully see a change. So those rapid PDSA cycles. Not that we're going to improve a process over five years. No, we're going to do one PDSA and we're going to hopefully see an improvement in this measurement in a month. Then we're going to see if we can do it in a week, two weeks, whatever it may be. So that stretch goal, really pushing to see a change, put a change, change something, and hopefully see an improvement. So that's a stretch goal. SMART goals are more like a specific goal that's measurable, reachable, timely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the explanation. So that's your aim statement. The next one is your run chart, which we've talked about. Yeah. Um, what you plan to measure to tell if a change was an improvement. So that's the actual change um, action item that you're going to do and hopefully see that measurement have an improvement. Or if you're measuring in the opposite direction that you decline something or that. Um, so that's related to your aim statement. The measurement in your aim statement is the measurement that you're going to do your run chart. And I think we've talked a little bit about run charts. And then the last item is your change hypothesis. Those are the things that you're actually going to do. Those are the changes that you're going to do. 
when we're consulting here at InRound, we always tell people to not just list one change hypothesis, but list a couple. Reason being is oftentimes we get stuck into one idea and this one change is going to improve the process to whatever our mm -hmm. goal is. And when it doesn't work, then we have to go back to the drawing board and say, okay, what's next? If you come up with a couple different ones, then you have those PDSA cycles already scheduled or not scheduled, already thought about to do. So we do one and we see a little bit of improvement. We do another, hopefully see improvement till eventually, hopefully we meet our goal. And then we have to evaluate, okay, we've met the goal. How are we going to, are we going to increase the goal to meet even more? Or how are we going to hold those gains now that we've done this great work? How do we continue this work to continue on? Mm. Do we work it in at, most common answer is you put it into the workflow. You make it into the workflow, right? So it just comes naturally. That's not another thing. I like that you say that you are putting up maybe three or four ideas. You go for one, but you already know that there are three other ideas. Uh, because that's the most difficult part when your idea is not working. Mm -hmm. um, we call it kill your darlings. Right. And uh, people are not really ready to do that. Uh, but that's a very good idea that may be already put up three or four before mm -hmm. and so you are already ready to kill your darlings if it's necessary. Thank you well for and that. it also helps if you're working across different um, different service lines say you've got pharmacy involved and you got radiology involved and you got these other other lines involved and we go in and say well if pharmacy would just do this if they would just change this it would solve it and then we come to find out well it's not really the pharmacy We've already put that bias in. How likely is pharmacy going to work with us in the future? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice, very nice. Um, and it also helps your key leader. If you have a key leader that this is their, this is their priority and they want this solved and they know how they want it solved, when that doesn't work, what happens? Yeah. Which is often, unfortunately, the case where the leader says, I want this to change and this is how I want it to change. Yeah. So that's why we ask for more than one. We don't want to get us stuck into a box where we had failure and then we have to restart all again. More than once. You are happy with two or are you really going for three or four? In our courses here, we ask for three or four, but we only ask you to test one of yes. them during your participation in the course. And if that one is not working at all? Hope you continue on and continue on the next ones. Okay, yeah. So yeah. you take your learning lessons. It's mm -hmm. it's not a failure. It's a, right. it's an attempt at learning. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I think it's we had a wonderful discussion. Is there something else that you? No, I I think the best thing that you can do as you're thinking about coaches, you have to get them the language and the understanding. So don't just send out a coach that doesn't have any quality improvement work. They don't need to be clinical experts. I have no clinical background, but I've taken enough people through quality improvement projects and I have the knowledge of what quality improvement is behind me. That it's kind of standard across any clinical line, right? Yeah. Quality yeah. improvement. So I would say make sure that your coaches are trained. They know what they're talking about. They speak the language, but they also have the layman language because a lot of people they're going to be coaching with will be PDSA. What, what are you talking about? What is that? Um, that they can explain it in a clear way to those that are practicing to know what it is and then to continue to coach them and to get the coaches together because as coaches you can learn a ton from another coach mm -hmm. um, it's not like i had one time training and here you go you know everything um, you can always learn from one another and this shared learning 
as coaches that will then go out to all of your different groups mm -hmm. is immense. I mean, you can't you can't pass that up. So. Okay, I think that was a wonderful <laughs> summary. So thank you so much for thank your you. time, and uh, I hope that you also will listen to our pod and listen to the other the other yes. coaches from the other countries. We have some from Switzerland and from Wales, from England, and from the states. So we we are awesome. continuing on. So Perfect. thank you. Thank, thank you, you so very much. much. Thank you. This podcast is made by Kulturum Design and Learning Center in Sweden.